What is up, everybody? This is Andrew Richardson. Welcome to another episode of Roll for Persuasion, the sometimes D&D, sometimes tabletop RPG, sometimes a general nerddom podcast where I go out and I find cool people in the community, creators, entrepreneurs who are doing awesome things in the gaming world and industry and who have taken uh, their love of fantasy role-playing gaming and they've incorporated it into uh, their life and their work and, and stuff that they've got going on. You know, each and every week I bring you super cool guests and this week is no exception. Uh, very cool guest. We will get to her in just a moment. Let's knock out some very quick work. Just a little bit of business. Uh, this show is brought to you by a few different sponsors. The first one we'll talk about today is AwesomeDice.com. Uh, they have all sorts of cool dice. I know many of you are like me, and you are playing in D&D games. You're playing in different tabletop games, which means you need a lot of dice. Or maybe you don't need a lot of dice. You just love a lot of dice, and you need a good excuse to buy more dice. Well, AwesomeDice.com is a great place to go and exercise that excuse. I have quite a few different sets of dice from them. They are an awesome company. Um, if you love kind of your traditional resin dice or your chess X, or you want some stone dice or you want some metal dice and you know something really heavy that really bangs on the table. Uh, they've got what you need. Awesomedice.com. You can use my code roll persuasion to save 10%. And a bit of that actually comes back to support the show. So you can support your dice addiction and support this podcast. And so everybody wins, especially you. And we love the people over at awesomedice.com. So make sure you check them out. And of course, make sure that you are subscribed to the show on your podcast app of choice, whatever that may be. We appreciate the subscription. That way you do not miss a single episode of Roll for Persuasion. We come to you every single week just with these cool creators and cool conversations. So make sure you hit that star, hit that subscribe so that you do not miss an episode. And now my guest today, I am so excited about because this is someone who has had a huge influence on my uh, just about everything about my, uh, you know, my, my nerdy hobbies, um, from books that I read when I was a kid to the kind of games I was into, um, just a huge influence on me personally. So very excited to welcome Margaret Weiss to the show today. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I, I am doing so well. Thank you so much for joining us uh, for an episode. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. So for people who don't know, and I imagine most people who listen to this show will know, you are the co-author of the Dragonlance series of novels. You worked at TSR for a very long time. And not just Dragonlance, you've written loads of books, You just some really fantastic fantasy stuff. Uh, what all would you say kind of your career, who you are in a nutshell is for people who might not have heard of you? <laughs> I don't, well, I guess I could just say I write what I love. That's a really great answer. And you know, we should actually put that on a T-shirt. That's pretty. Uh, that's, pretty that's a pretty sellable <laughs> statement. Uh, you write what you love. Um, you've been involved in the kind of American fantasy and science fiction scene for a very long time. Um, just lots of great books. Um, people who've listened to my show have heard me tell this story before. But um, Dragonlance was one of the very first fantasy novels that I ever picked up. I went from uh, Narnia to Tolkien to I remember finding a copy of The Sword of Shannara by Terry Brooks uh, on a shelf at Half Price Books and thinking, oh, that looks cool. And then after that, it was Anne McCaffrey. And then after that, I was like, I'm really into dragons. This book says dragon on it. I think I was 10 or 11 at the time. And I devoured the Dragonlance books that you and Tracy Hickman put out, um, never realizing that they were Dungeons and Dragons and that I could actually <laughs> play in this world that I was reading about. Um, I, I really didn't even realize that it was a Dungeons and Dragons thing until like four or five years ago. That's how behind the curve I am. But uh, those books are truly fantastic. I would recommend them to anyone. 
but um, yeah, so so let's let's jump into it. So let's go all the way back. You tell me about working at TSR, like how you got there and what kind of your role was at the company at the time. Oh, wow. Um, that would have been back in 83. We'll, we'll play that. Um, we'll play that sound loop of like a, like in a cartoon when they, oh, remember back when. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was, um, I was living in Missouri at the time and working for a very small publisher. And I was, I read in Publishers Weekly about this company called TSR that it, uh, you know, it was, invented this game called Dungeons and Dragons. And um, I, I thought it sounded like a really neat game and something fun I could play with my kids. So a friend of mine uh, ran a game for us and we, my kids and I just loved it. And uh, then again in Publishers Weekly, I read where this company was looking for a book editor, which was, or actually it was a games editor. And I was I was an editor myself, so not knowing anything about the game, I just decided I'd love to work for this company, and I sent in an application, and they sent me back a test, and I flunked it miserably because oh, I gosh. knew nothing about the game. Sure. To this day, somebody always has to tell me what dice to roll when. I just, I know nothing about the rules. But anyway, um, as it happened, <laughs> this is very serendipity. Um, my agent at the time, Ray Peekner, lived in Milwaukee. Uh, TSR was located in Lake Geneva. Gene Black was the book editor and went, walked, or uh, Ray told, a uh, new Ray, Ray told Gene that, no, okay, here we go. Gene told Ray she was looking for a book editor. Ray told her that he knew me and I had submitted an application and it went to games. So Gene walked over to games and found my application and uh, talked, gave me a call and said she'd be very interested in interviewing me. So I, um, I had no money. I was coming off a divorce, uh, single mom, two kids. I went out, drove up to um, Lake Geneva. My agent gave me money enough to buy a dress. Because <laughs> I didn't have any good clothes. Oh wow! wow. And uh, as it turned out, nobody—you know—everybody at TSR was totally astonished that I had shown up at a dress. But um, because they all lived in blue jeans, and and so anyway, here I come. And um, Jean took me out to lunch, and we talked. And that day, she hired me. Wow. So I went home, packed up the kids, the cat, borrowed money from my parents, and moved up to Lake Geneva and went to work for TSR. And the rest is uh, is history. Yeah. <laughs> so so you go to TSR, um, and and at the time, and I, I'm trying to remember my my D and D history, but I guess at the time is when they were really starting to lean into um, published novels, right? That that were kind of set yes, in the system uh, world. They that was one reason they had hired me because they had made such a success with um, Rose Estes' uh, Endless Quest novels had been a huge success for the company and they wanted gene wanted to expand into novels uh you know regular novels for adults um and uh so that was why they hired me i was going to be the developer and editor on that project and the first 
um, novels they were going that she wanted to do produce were related to a band product that Tracy Hickman had brought to the company called Dragonland. And so I sat in on the meetings with the game designers and uh, learned all about the world of Dragonland and just absolutely fell in love with it. So my job was to take all the material from all 12 modules and kind of boil it down and get it to a plot uh, that could be used for uh, a novel. And at the beginning, it was only supposed to be one novel because the company didn't think it would sell. <laughs> So, surprise, surprise, surprise. Yeah, so that was why the whole thing ends with the wedding um, is because they thought that would it would be the happy ending and yeah. <laughs> and and then of course, um, I mean, expanded into a, a, an awesome series with with some truly iconic characters. Uh, in my opinion, writing a kind of an anti-hero is something a lot of people try to do. And I say this as a consumer, not as a writer, but, but I read many novels, especially, you know, in the last 20 years or so, um, that, that go for the anti-hero thing. And I don't think everyone nails it. And I think it's something that people might think, uh, they have an idea of what, of what it's like to do that character, but then it's actually very hard to execute in a way that connects with the reader. And in my opinion, um, in the Dragonlance books, you have one of, probably the, the best anti-heroes, if you will, in fiction, um, in Raceland. And, and I kind of yeah. wanted to, to talk with you. And, and again, if you guys haven't read Dragonlance, there might be spoilers here and don't worry <laughs> about it. Cause really this is for me. I'm just, I happen to be recording it, but this, this conversation is <laughs> for me. Um, what was, what was it like developing that character and how did you find that balance between making someone that was both kind of uh, an anti-hero and eventually even a, a, an actual, um, you know, villain, if you will, um, but also someone that audiences, myself included, related to very strongly and that connected with people on multiple levels. What was that process like? Um, Raceland came about though, because I was working with the game designers and the Dragonlance game was going to be one, the first, D&D game ever produced that had pre-generated characters. And Raceland and Caraman were among the pre the characters that they came up with. And if you look at those old models, uh, modules, um, you know, in the back, you get character cards and there's Raceland and Gold Moon and Riverwind and Caraman and Tannis. And so I knew I had uh, Raceland's stats. I knew he was a third level wizard. Uh, Larry Elmore had painted a really truly amazing picture of Raceland with um, and featured him uh, painted him with golden skin and hourglass eyes and so I'm sitting in the meeting and I asked Larry I said why did you give him golden skin and hourglass eyes and Larry says because it looks cool <laughs> so <laughs> so I had to come up with a reason and well and another thing was his nickname was the sly one and again nobody could tell me why it was just oh just we sounded it cool yeah yeah so I had to come up with a, a reason why he had golden skin and hourglass eyes. And of course, the sly one gave me a hint into his character. Um, and so I thought, well, the golden skin and hourglass eyes must have something to do with his magic. And what if he had to take a test? Because uh, mages in this world would 
would just simply not want to let inept magic users go running around giving them, you know, bad reputation. Sure. So Branding they would is make, everything. Right. They would make all magic users that they could come into the tower and take a test. And in return, they would, you know, give them these powers and everything else. So I thought, okay, Raceland would do this. Now, the downside is if you fail, you can die because they don't want failed magic users either. And they would just simply kill them off. So Raceland is, of course, willing to bet his life on this. But how does his older or how does his protective brother, Karaman, feel about this? And Karaman's perfectly normal looking, you know, and he's. So all of a sudden, I had this with with the development of this, the test. I had the codependent relationship between the twins, and that led me to write the first short story that was ever published in the Dragonlance world, and that was the the kind of the twins, test of the twins, whatever it was, in Dragon Magazine, um, March issue, I believe, and uh, that generated a huge amount of mail and. Uh, I we knew that um, that we you know that people like these characters, and so we just went from there. Yeah. And Raceland was somebody I really got to know. I mean, writers are lucky if you get characters like that every so often uh, that you know better than you do family and friends. And uh, Raceland was just one of those. I just knew him. And and I think that definitely comes out in in the writing um, when you read uh, the books and and the character and the dialogue and 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 all of it. Um, I, I'm assuming it's not typical in in the uh, in the writing world to come up with a character as a result of somebody handing you a picture and saying, "This is cool. Just write about this." Um, yeah. <laughs> so so how 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 did that kind of differ maybe from your prior approach or or how does it does that hinder you a bit or does it kind of give you a good starting off point or, or do you end up feeling maybe stifled by some of the, oh, the pieces I, that are in play it already? Was, it was amazing. I mean, imagine the art department at that time was Larry Elmore, Keith Parkinson, Clyde Caldwell and Jeff Easley. And they all, the artists had a big room. All the rest of us had our little game, our little cubes where we worked, but the artists sat in a big room. And um, you would walk into that room and the walls were filled with paintings. And by, at this time, they were working on the Dragonlance calendar, which featured one pa- the, pa- the cover paintings for each of the 12 modules that year. And it was absolutely amazing. And, and the characters were there. I mean, they, there were paintings of Raceland and Caraman and paintings of Sturm and, and Larry's painting of Lorana standing over Sturm's body. And I right, mean, it, yeah. was, it was all there. And, you know, what, what better inspiration could you have than to walk in and see all this wonderful art? And it was, uh, it was a true pleasure to be able to for me to try to describe in words what they had seen in their minds. I mean, it was, and then of course, you know, we're working with Tracy and working with Michael Williams and uh, it was just, it was just so much fun. We had such a ball. So it's an incredibly collaborative effort compared to maybe um, 
other other authors or other situations where it can perhaps mm-hmm. be very isolating? Um, you know, I, um, I I did the writing part because Tracy was involved heavily in the game development. Gotcha. And um, and of course, I had my day job I had to do, which was editing the, the PSR bookline. And so I wrote um, once they decided that. I mean, they were going to get another writer to write Dragonland, some uh, high-list novelist, you know, on the order of Terry Bush. Um, but whenever they, when Dean talked to their agents, all the, and he told them that um, not only would they get very little in the way of money, <laughs> sure. they didn't get to, keep, they didn't get to keep any of the rights <laughs> because TSR owned all the rights to Dragonland. So of course nobody wanted to touch it, um, and uh, they we did finally hire one guy, kind of a mid list, and I can't even remember who his name was. He agreed to do it, and he started turning in stuff. Um, and Tracy and I read it, and it was just not what we were looking for. It wasn't our vision. It wasn't our world. Right. Yeah. And so we took one weekend and wrote. Uh, the prologue and the first six chapters to Autumn Tomorrow Life, and I have never in my life written that much since. But that's how much we were into it. And that Monday, we went to work and gave it to Gene, and we said, Gene, we think you should fire this writer and hire us. And Gene told me years later that she only read what we'd written because she didn't want to hurt our feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So she took it into her yeah, she took it into her cube and she read it and she came back and she said, wow, she said, this is what we're looking for. And we're going, yes. So that guy, the, he got to keep the advance because they were afraid he was going to sue. And um, Tracy and I didn't care. We didn't care that we didn't keep the rights. I mean, we just wanted to tell our story. And um, so we did. And now here you are, you know, years later, I, I think, something over 20 Dragonlance novels I think I think you've done now something like that oh I think there were at one point maybe a hundred or so um in the whole series you, you didn't write all of those entire, right? yeah in the entire series no we didn't write all of them and in fact after we left to move on to Bantam to tell different stories um TSR just kept hiring authors to write Dragonlance and that was fine so and then, um, and you guys left, if I recall, it was to write the the Dark Sword series, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, which again, another another um, recommendation from me or your local literary expert, dear listeners. Uh, Dark Sword is another really great, um, I, I think, a very underappreciated uh, collection of books. Um, one that I certainly don't think I hear it talked about enough, but I would definitely recommend it to anyone who wants to go read it. So, so you guys left to to go do those. Um, yeah. And and I guess probably not like a, a great breakup at the time. Is that correct between you and TSR? Um, well, let's see. By that time, um, Gary had left uh, and Lorraine Williams had taken over, kind of forcibly taken over. And uh, that was another reason that I was looking to get out because I didn't like what was going on at the company. And so when Tracy and I decided to quit and strike out our, on our own, which was absolutely terrifying. Sure. Yeah. As again, single mom, and here I am going to risk everything on freelance work. Val um, Lorraine threatened to sue us. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> but she never did, so that was fine. 
And then eventually um, you guys actually come back and write uh, Dragons of Summer Flame. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then continue to do, to do even more novels. Um, so it's fair to say it's been a, it's a, been a pretty fair success. Yeah, we've had fun. <laughs> and, and of course, um, as a, a D&D player myself, uh, Dragonlance is one of the modules I think that, that I am not an old school player, but I am an old school fantasy fan. Um, and so it, it's one of those modules that a lot of old school players talk about a lot, hoping it would come back in some form or fashion. It's kind of up there. It's Dragonlance, Dark Sun, Spelljammer, that that kind of stuff tend to be the ones that people talk about. But Dragonlance especially, I think many people are wondering, will we ever get to officially play in that world again? Um, is that anything? And if you can't talk about it, that's that's cool too. But it, do you have any any hope on your end that that might be something that um, wizards might you know bring back at some point? Nope. <laughs> I don't know. They don't talk to me. Yeah. Well, we'll all keep our fingers crossed then. So then after, after, after Dragonlance, um, you, and we were talking about this before we started recording, um, you have a company that was involved in the publication of a game, uh, or development of a game, I guess you can, you can correct me, um, of one of my favorite TV shows, Firefly. Uh, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. We did the Firefly RPG. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun to work on. So were you, how, how did that come about? Were you a Firefly fan? Um, oh yeah, I was a huge fan. Um, and, uh, when the chat, I just, I thought Firefly would make an absolutely perfect role-playing game because it had, you know, all the characters, um, because when you're doing a role-playing game, you want a show that say, unlike Buffy, the vampire slayer, which has one major character and maybe right. a couple of minor characters, uh, which leads to, a, you know, role players who have to play other parts and they don't get to be Buffy and, you know, Firefly, you've got a lot of characters that are all very cool and you can kind of suit whatever your personality is. I'm playing at a Firefly game. Uh, I play one every in one every year at GaryCon and I always play Jane because I like to kill stuff. Okay. <laughs> I'm not one of these um, people that go through dungeons and likes to solve puzzles <clears throat> and stuff like that. I just like to kill stuff. So Jane was perfect for me. And, and that is awesome. And, and that, uh, I guess that game came out five or six years ago. Um, and it was based, if I oh, remember, I think it was, was I it even it longer was than that? I thought it was like 2013, 2014. I could be, I could be wrong. It might have been. I don't remember. It all starts to run together now. <laughs> Maybe mm, even further. Yeah. But it was built on, um, on the the cortex system right the the yes. you guys uh i guess did you develop that in-house yes we did and then not based on a uh, based on a concept by lester smith and again don't ask me about the rules sure sure no worries I never knew. we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll ask you about, about story and about killing things we'll keep it limited <laughs> to that um but but it's it's been kind of cool because I, I think lots of times, uh, especially you know in in all the kickstarters and whatnot we have going on now, there are a lot of um, games that are developed that are just kind of then placed on top of other systems. So I, th I think it's cool that you guys got to do it on um, your kind of variant of the Cortex system at that time. So it's cool that it was kind of paired with what I thought was a system that fit very well to the theme and the story. It did. Yeah. Yeah. And then what was nice about that was you could you could make it adapt to any world like we did sure. the leverage 
TV show uh, based on the same system and just torqued it a little so that it was a little bit different than it was for Firefly to suit leverage. Yeah, and, and um, I think it was also used in a Smallville game, uh, if I recall, mm-hmm. which, which yeah. uh, you know, talking about I, uh, Dark Sword earlier, I feel like the Smallville game is actually um, also fairly underappreciated. It's it's a really fun game. If anyone ever gets a chance to play uh, mm-hmm. play that particular game, it's really fun, and it's all built on that system. Um, but then not too long ago, I was talking with, uh, I mentioned Adam Bradford the, the other day of D&D Beyond and Fandom, and they recently purchased the rights to the Cortex system. So it sounds like they're going to be going forward with kind of yes. fulfilling the, uh, the, the crowdfunding yeah. and, and the publication. Um, that, that's pretty it's exciting. coming back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and in a way, you know, with a company like D&D Beyond that is, you know, has all of the stuff in place to, you know, take it into the kind of the digital space and, and really get it out to bunches of people. So if you haven't gone to play in the system yet, guys, uh, hopefully you will very soon and in a very kind of easy to use, familiar way. So that is very exciting. So, so you write a lot. I mean, you've written many, many, many books. Um, you've been involved kind of in game publishing. What do you, what are you doing kind of in the fantasy world these days? Do you go to conventions a lot? Uh, you mentioned Gen Con. Um, are you going to Gary Con here in a couple of weeks? I go to Gary Con and Gen Con. Those, those are the only two conventions I do these days. And what do you like? I mean, do you go to, are you there as a guest? Or are you going just to play games and see people? What's that, what's that experience like? Gary Con, I go to just for fun. Uh, a bunch of friends come down and we stay, they stay at my house and we play games and we go to Gary Con and we go, I see all the, my old friends and uh, we just have a great time. Um, Gen Con, I work. I have a booth and uh, I sell books and autograph books and uh, get to meet the fans. And uh, it's just, it's a lot of fun. Well, hopefully we'll run into each other. I will be at Gen Con uh, this year. I will not be at Gary Con because they rudely scheduled it on my daughter's second birthday. Um, <laughs> so, so I'll have a talk with them about that maybe next year. But um, <laughs> very excited to go check the convention out and and uh, perhaps get to see you and chat in person. Um, book wise, what else do you have going on right now? Like, what are uh, you know? Do you have any series that you're currently working on that you can talk about? No. Cool. I mean, I can't talk about it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the the tease, the the exciting thing we get to tell people. It's always fun. Um, sometimes I tell people that I'm, you know, I would share something with them, but I'm under an NDA, even if I'm not, just because it sounds cool. Um, <laughs> but it's even better when you actually have a cool project that you can't talk about. So, um, whatever that might be, guys, make sure that you're keeping an eye out for that. Um, and yeah, so so any other just kind of stuff you have going on? Any anything you want to share with listeners? No, I really. <laughs> it's all in lockdown. That's cool. I just, you know, I write. I got four dogs to support, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> and and we're going to actually talk about the dog, those dogs. We're going to talk about Margaret's dogs and uh, some of the cool things that that she does with them in our Zone of Truth segment that's coming up here after the show. Um, but before we get there, I want to quickly say a word for another one of our sponsors, Talon and Claw. You guys know them. You guys love them, as do I. They make awesome handmade wooden dice accessories for your D&D games. If you want a dice vault, a DM screen, a cool place to store your mini. Um, they're coming out with some really awesome leather rolling trays, uh, just some cool stuff. Make sure you check them and check them out. Talonandclaw.etsy.com. You can use code ROLLPERSUASION to save 10% there. And that, of course, supports the show as well. But uh, we love we love their work. We, we give them out to friends and guests. And I have a really sweet dice vault myself. And I just love uh, Anthony over there and the stuff that he is doing. So make sure you check them out. Talonandclaw.etsy.com. 
com. And of course, with their support, we're able to have our awesome guests on the show. Um, so Margaret, where can people follow you on social media and kind of keep up with you and check out what's going on? I have a, I have a Facebook page, um, Margaret Weiss. And um, then I have a Twitter account that is, I think it's Weiss Marg, W-E-I-S-M-A-R-G, something like that. Pretty safe to bet we can we can Google and find it. So if you have a spelling issue, <laughs> you can just Google yeah. Margaret's name and you can definitely find her on there. Um, and and I appreciate as a fan, uh, you are very interactive on Twitter, um, and so it, it's always you know fun when you're able to connect in one way or another with somebody who has had such a big impact on things that you enjoy. So thank you for me for that. And guys, as I said, we're going to be going into the Zone of Truth segment brought to you by Smuggler's Coffee after the outro music here in a minute. So make sure if you are a Patreon backer that you stay connected for a few moments after the show to hear that extra little content with me and Margaret talking about her dogs and some of the cool stuff that they do. I believe you said it's flyball racing, right? Flyball. Okay. So I, and I know nothing about this, so you're going to get to hear (laughs) explain everything to someone who has no idea. Uh, but I love dogs. So I'm very excited. So, uh, if you support the show on Patreon, thank you very much. That's patreon.com slash roll for persuasion. Um, you can help out the show, get access to cool secret bonus content like our zone of truth segment. And, and yeah, it's, uh, it's very exciting to have you all support and get to share these cool conversations with you every week. So make sure you guys are staying tuned in. We've got some very cool guests coming up very soon. Uh, Patreon backers, hang on tight. In just a minute, we'll get into that segment. But Margaret, thank you so much for joining me for this episode and for chatting about some of my favorite stuff, Dragonlance. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. And uh, we will, of course, keep our eyes out for, you know, whatever the secret secret projects are coming out. It's always exciting to see new stuff from some of your favorite creators. So we will keep our eyes on your website and your social media for all that stuff. Until yeah, next time, until next time, guys, you can follow the show at Roll Persuasion on Twitter and Instagram. You can email me, Andrew at RollForPersuasion.com. I love getting messages there and chatting with you guys. Patreon.com slash RollForPersuasion if you want to support the show and check out our cool sponsors. But as always, guys, I appreciate hearing from you. I appreciate knowing that you are tuning in and enjoying these conversations that we are having. And until next time, guys, enjoy your games. Enjoy your games.